0: I'm Colin Bash from Hewlett-Packard Labs, and I'll be filling in as the host of this week's podcast, From Research to Reality. My very special guest is the host and founder of the Research to Reality podcast, Dayan Milotjic. Dayan is a distinguished technologist at Hewlett-Packard Labs and has recently been given the prestigious Merwin Award from the IEEE Computer Society. In today's episode, we'll be discussing his award, his history of volunteerism and how it shaped his career. Hello, Dayan, and congratulations on the Merwin Award.
1: Hey, Colin, Uh, great to be here again, sitting on a different chair on the other side of the screen. Thanks for hosting me.
0: Indeed you are, and uh, you're a distinguished technologist. Now, this is an important position uh, within the company, and you're also dedicated to volunteerism, particularly in IEEE. Can you share with us uh, an overview of your professional career? How did you get to where you are today and, and, uh, and that history of volunteerism?
1: How did you get started? Um, I usually am able to give it within two minutes. Um, so let me, let me start. Um, I started in Belgrade. Uh, within one mile or a couple of miles, I was walking to my elementary school, high school, and university. Worked for eight years. I had to drive at that time to the Institute Mihailo Pupin. Um, and then thereafter, uh, I went to Germany to do my PhD thesis there. Uh, I spent about two and a half years. That was a really quick uh, PhD uh, because I was already experienced after working in Institute. Then I went to the East Coast, uh, spent about five years working in Open Software Foundation Research Institute. And as they started downsizing, uh, I decided it's time to go again. And I... Uh, moved to Hewlett-Packard Labs, where I've been in the last 23 years, almost as much as you. So that's my uh, uh, professional career. On the volunteer side, um, I remember the first time I published paper in IEEE, that was uh, uh, one uh, futuristic conference that was held in Lisbon. And I did it while I was in Germany. And then soon after that, I published in another conference, then I published at a magazine, then soon thereafter I became a participant on the parent committee of one of the conferences, then on the editorial board, then soon thereafter I became editor in chief of a online magazine that I actually founded. And in the process, uh, the people in computer society liked what I was doing. So they invited me to be on the board of governors. I didn't make it first time, but second time uh, I got on the board And they even like more so what I was doing. So before my term expired, they asked me whether I would be president. So I became president of computer society. Uh, Thereafter, you have opportunity to become director of IEEE. So there's computer society and then there's broader IEEE, which is comprised of of multiple societies. And and so I became. And so um, there uh, I spent two years and one year prior to that as elect. And thereafter, again, some people like me and they recommended me to go for president of IEEE. I tried and I did not succeed, but that was a, a great learning. So these are my two quite quick histories.
0: Well, yeah, that, and you know what's interesting is when I started in, in college as well, that that's when I started to to volunteer in, in societies, you know, professional societies, whether it be IEEE or, or others. And then I I moved into writing papers, going to conferences and and um and participating in program committees. And I've done other things since, but but that's kind of where you really took off in um in really getting into the nuts and bolts of volunteerism with with IEEE, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell us some more about your role at at, at HPE today and at Hewlett Packard Labs and, and also at IEEE. What are you doing today? And you've shared kind of a little bit about how you've gotten to, to where you are now. But but give us some more color on where you are now.
1: Yes. So you introduced me as distinguished technologist. That's a really respectable role. I'm so proud of being it. And Wherever I sign my name, anywhere I usually sign. Uh, with Distinguished Technologies. I would have preferred to be a Distinguished Engineer, but it's almost equivalent. We won't go there in, in uh, making differences. As um, Distinguished technologists, uh, I think one is expected to uh, drive the strategy of the company, uh, but also to lead the teams. Uh, so I've been, throughout my career, I've been going back and forth between um, being an individual contributor, of which Distinguished Technologist is one, and also leading teams. So at the moment, I also uh, lead the teams. Uh, I have a few teams uh, working with me. One team is working on simulation. uh, And then there are a couple of other teams which are working on various aspects of system architecture, including uh, system software. Uh, And I'm working... um, based on my preference on on future systems. I'm especially interested in next generation architectures be it uh, large memory systems or or large high performance computing systems. Uh, So I work with colleagues, I work very well with teams and uh, I'm driving these teams uh, and and I'm driven by others. So when you you lead, you have to also follow, it's it's really important and that's emphasized on a daily basis. Otherwise teamwork uh, doesn't work. So that's what I do at at HPE or Hewlett-Packard Labs. At uh, IEEE and uh, IEEE Computer Society, uh, I have limited my role after not uh, being elected for president, primarily in industry engagement. So over the years, um, IEEE was well known for engineers from industry. But uh, academia has embraced IEEE and the number of members uh, from academia has dramatically grown, which is excellent. We want that. But we don't want this reduction of, of the members from industry. So I've spent about seven, eight years by now working on that aspect. How do we bring relevance of IEEE back to industry? And surprise, surprise, I work in industry. So, you know, as they say, eat your own dog food. Uh, I've been Uh, exercising um, all these benefits on myself and on on our organization. And we've done a a number of things here. Uh, Within computer society, which I never left because up until recently, that was my only society. And I was so much engaged and dedicated. I didn't have time to to work for any other society. As of lately, I've been a member of a few other societies which invited me, but uh, I'm still contributing and leading only within computer society. There, I continued contributions in technology predictions in in many aspects, and we can discuss this later.
0: And and we can dis- discuss industry engagement. I think that's that's a, a, a really important topic, as as you mentioned, um, uh, going forward. The, the industry is you know has somewhat declined when it comes to participation in professional societies, and there's just so much to to gain uh from these societies that we want to make sure that, uh, that that's not lost on on folks who decide to go into industry rather than academia um, as i mentioned in the beginning of our discussion though we're doing this interview with you on the receiving end uh, because you received the merwin award from the ieee computer society um can you tell us about the the merwin award a little bit
1: uh, merwin award is the highest um, award within computer society for volunteers Uh, It is uh, really a bronze medal and $5,000 given to the person who has uh, exercises distinguished service to computer society and the broader profession. Uh, And uh, Richard Mervyn was uh, the past president of computer society. He passed away that year when he was president of computer society. He was really distinguished uh, engineer researcher. He worked at IBM in Los Alamos. He worked on ANIAC and then later on MANIAC system, worked on some space uh, projects and many other things. So I'm extremely proud uh, to uh, have been awarded uh, this award to Richard Merwin and also uh, from my uh, favorite uh, society, computer society.
0: So so Merwin was certainly a distinguished engineer, but he was also a volunteer himself. Uh, yeah. really helping to shape the computer society within IEEE. Um, what about your colleagues at, at Hewlett-Packard Enterprise and at, at at HP Labs, Hewlett-Packard Labs? How did they react to you receiving this this award?
1: Well, I was extremely happy how they reacted. I mean, everyone congratulated me. Um, and, and you can see that uh, reaction uh, was almost equal as the rest of the IEEE, which represents the whole world. When um, they, they've... Uh, really were nice to me so my manager put my picture during his meeting my manager's manager my manager's manager's manager put it up so it was it was really nice uh, and it ultimately wasn't only about me uh as as i um replied in one of the comments on linkedin where we got like 500 comments likes uh i consider it always as as a team award had um uh, Hewlett-Packard Labs and HP Labs in the past not allowed me I would have never volunteered. Every time I go to my manager uh, and I ask, should I do this is are you okay with this, I asked whether it was fine to be editor in chief, whether it was fine to be to get on the Board of Governors to uh, uh, run for the election for the computer society president for IEEE president. And, you know, uh, I live off of my work and um, with that, I support my family. So without work, you know, I would not volunteer. Volunteering is great, but you know, work still comes first, you know, that uh, everyone knows. Although, you know, in IEEE, they like to say, uh, what do you do for your daily job? Uh, I mean, they spend most of the nights working for IEEE or weekends for that matter.
0: Everyone has their own perspective, right? But but yeah. cer- certainly they're, they're connected, right? In, in an important way. Um, you know, I, and I resonate with what you said about your colleagues because, you know, it's, it's really heartening when your colleagues can celebrate with you. And, you know, in, in this time of the pandemic, it's hard for us to get together and, and celebrate. But, uh, you know, it really makes an award like this one um, all that much more uh, meaningful uh, when, um, when, when your colleagues are as happy for you as, uh, as you are to, uh, to have received it. So um, now from your perspective, though, what did you do to deserve the Merwin Award this year?
1: So Mervyn Award, if you look at the history of who got it, it was usually past presidents, and I was one of the past presidents. But I think I'm a little bit different uh, in a way that I don't think I received it for my past presidency and and all the impact that I've made, which which I have done, Uh, but rather because of the projects I pursued. Uh, And I've done a few. Uh, Probably the most important and intriguing one is predictions, technology predictions. The second one is 2022 report. And the third is special technical communities. Let me focus on each one in a little bit more detail. So with respect to technology predictions, we started very informally. I remember around 2010, uh, at one of the industry advisory boards, um, marketing director asked us, what are the next important technologies? And, you know, we spoke about it, et cetera. She jotted down and she wrote something on the website, et cetera. Next year, I introduced a little bit more process. We voted. Everyone put you know, a number of dots beside. And, and so we had it going. Already the following year, I gather a small team, and, and we got together, and we wrote one paragraph for technology, and we voted for each one. The following year, already, we started evaluating us. You know, It's not only enough to make prediction, but you know, by the end of the year, you got to uh, do the scorecard of how well you did. And so we've done that. And then, you know, little by little, it started uh, taking momentum. Um, they started uh, doing press releases, which got tremendous attention, uh, close to 100,000 reach. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the director of, uh, executive director of IEEE started mentioning us at his reports to the board. Uh, we were invited to both virtual panels, real panels. Uh, we were suggested to organize special issue IEEE computer on this topic, which we've done. And then the next one based on the success. And most recently, um, we are even trying to start a column on this topic. So mm. that that was uh, really something that we, we're all excited. And it's just a little bit of insights that we have, a little bit of work, but then r- working with the right people and, and delivering it. Uh, the other one was of similar kind, but a little bit different, different delivery. That was so-called 2022 report. We've done it in uh, year 2014 and 2015. It took us almost two years to get it. Uh, It was about nine of us, plus a few other contributors. And we came up with 23 technologies that will be successful in 2022 year. Don't ask me why 23 for 22. <laughs> it was meant to be 22, but you know certain people objected. Hey, my favorite technology is missing, so we added it. And that report also gained tremendous visibility. Uh, uh, we and and I'm pretty proud when I look at all these technologies that we predicted. They are really popular even now. So starting with security, sustainability, quantum computing. Uh, High-performance computing was there and now, but machine learning, intelligence systems, et cetera. Uh, and that report was downloaded about hundred thousand times. It's available as computer society report. It's very easy to find. You go to computer.org 2022. And thereafter we even published I uh, IEEE computer paper on that. And then the third one is yet different. It's called special technical communities. It's more organizational. Uh, I managed to put together the uh, volunteers in a new uh, abstraction, really uh, organizational entity called Communities, which was lightweight. And it also uh, gained some momentum and adoption. Today, there are about 23 different special technical communities. When we created it, we published a report uh, in IEEE computer. And 10 years after, just this February, we did a retrospective of how successful we were.
0: Well, that's 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 a lot, and I can see why uh, why you were awarded uh, the the Merwin Award this year. So it's you were you were a past president, but you've also uh, kind of spearheaded some of these efforts on on 2022 report, technology predictions, technical community. So congratulations for all of your work, and thank you for all your work in this space. Uh, really important. Um, actually, I want to drill down on on some of these a little bit. So you mentioned the 2022 report. Is there going to be an update? Is there going to be a 2032 report?
1: Um, uh, we've been thinking about this, you know, but um, instead uh, I'm thinking on another project which is uh, future workforce, which will have the similar. Um, similar background, but it will be focused and, and more driven by corona and what is happening today and the impact of corona that one is even more different than 2022 report, we are. Uh, traveling around the world, literally, or actually virtually, but literally visiting um, different regions. We organized one event, first one in Singapore, then in India, China. And at the moment, we're organizing three: one in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, another in Europe, and another in South America. Uh, then we'll go to the North America and visit places there. And intent is to understand what are the implications on all these regions, especially in emerging countries, uh, and then how they will impact developing countries, and then circle back and share all these insights across all these uh, regions in the world. And it's really amazing how much insights we are uh, gaining after every visit uh, and and how our insights grow every time.
0: Another really important uh, topic for, for sure, given where we are today. Uh, as a, as a society, uh, globally uh, dealing with um, with uh, with COVID nineteen and and IEEE really is a global society. It's not limited to one region or another. Um, wh- I want to get back into one other thing you, you mentioned, which is technology predictions. That this is always fascinating uh, to me. How somebody might go ahead and look at, through their crystal ball and and uh, and ascertain what might be important in the future. So, h- can you explain a little bit more? How do you go about doing these predictions? Uh, who do you work with? uh i i imagine you you have more than uh, just yourself uh thinking oh, yeah, through yeah. what's yeah. going to happen uh, who do you work with what's your what's the process
1: uh well you know not everyone has the guts to do it <laughs> uh you know some people really like doing uh what is important today and that's perfectly fine most people are like that without those people we wouldn't be functioning at all but then there are a few people who are really visionaries uh, you don't want too many of these, uh, so it's about a dozen of us. Uh, um, I will um, list them, uh, list the whole report uh, as we feature this video. Um, but, you know, I started with Eitan uh, Frachtenburg, with Danny Lang, uh, with Paolo Faraboski, uh, with Phila uh, Plant, and, and a number of others who join us uh, over the years, most recently Roberto Soraco, whose job is is doing exactly that. But most other people are uh, simply um, uh, visionaries. Uh, and that We have uh, a few ladies, uh, Mary Baker and Kim Keaton uh, and, and, and a few others. Uh, and I know what you're going to ask me next, uh, how successful we are. So I'll just uh, uh, prefetch your question. Uh, it is interesting that you can't be successful every time. As a matter of fact, most of the time you are not successful. But we take pride in guessing certain things. And you may say today that one of our successes like with uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, isn't much of a success and and it was obvious. Well, it's obvious today, but if you look back uh, six, seven years ago, it was not as obvious. Uh, AI just came down from a big uh, turn and then it was just catching up. So it it was unclear. Uh, Another one where we were successful uh, was uh, augmented reality. And that one year over year, we were actually refining. So we started with a virtual reality, then uh, assisted reality, then virtual reality and augmented reality. But, you know, I must admit, we weren't successful always. So there were a number of failures. And most of these failures aren't because technology was not successful. It was about the timing. So these predictions are most of the time about the timing. So some examples which are really close to, and, and, and I must admit in, in, in a few of these, it was my personal failure. Uh, non-volatile memory and desegregated memory, two years in a row we failed and we got uh, pretty low uh, marks there. Uh, then capability-based security, which I was way ahead of myself, both in technology predictions and within company. Um, but um, hey, today, Arm has just announced support for capabilities. So the, the technology was the right one and successful. We were just ahead of our time, which is part of the predictions, not just to identify successful technologies, but when they will be uh, successful. Another example is with uh, digital currencies. We failed a few times. And then there are a few others. The most interesting for me, however, is that one year we would be very successful, only to fail next year uh, for the same one. So, example is blockchain, uh, which we marked A. It was very popular, and next year we were assured that digital currencies will take off, but they failed miserably that year. And now they are taking off again. So, these are some examples.
0: And 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 those examples just they also mirror. Um, uh, companies and industry. You know, companies have have a a, a hard time with this as well. It's a challenge. It's all about timing. It's not necessarily always about the technology that a company might uh, might provide. It's about getting it to market at the right time when there's a market for it. Um, uh, Really interesting day on. Hey, let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk more about um, IEEE. So the Merwin Award is given by the Computer Society, which is part of the broader IEEE. Um, What's its function? What's the function of IEEE? How does it benefit its members?
1: Um, The tagline of uh, IEEE is advancing technology for the benefit of humanity. So it is literally fulfilling that tagline. Um, IEEE uh, has underneath, and I'll go through organizational structure to tell you what are the really products and deliverables for the rest of the world. But it has a number of major organizational units, Uh, one is technical activities board, which is hosting uh, most of the conferences. uh, And it's also hosting all societies, so society is the next level of organizational unit uh, and, and there's about 36 I think overall and then there are some councils, but conferences are really the products that we care about. Uh, then the next organizational unit is publishing. Uh, IEEE has uh, a number of, of uh, publications. Uh, they have about 2,000 conferences. I think about 500 or so, or 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 more uh, journals and magazines. Uh, the next one, which is really important for industry, is standards. Uh, as you know, wireless um, has been standardized by IEEE 802.11. And so were math coprocessors and a number of other technologies. So industry really cares because it's cross industry and enables products that that could be working across the regions and for different customers. Uh, and then there's education, um, and education is important for uh, all kinds of courses that are being delivered. And finally, there's a so-called memberships and geographic activities, and that is. How IEEE is organized—not across technologies, but across the regions in the world—and there are ten regions. And you and I are sitting right now in Region Six. This, uh, what you see, landscape behind you—that's part of Region Six.
0: It is indeed landscape yeah. behind you as well. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and, and I think that kind of brings to light that you know we're talking about volunteering today a lot, but but you know we should also keep in mind that these societies have uh, have a lot of, uh, um, uh, good that they provide to their members and to society in general, you know, for those of you listening, if, uh, if you're not part of a society, whether it be IEEE or something else, you know, consider joining because there are a lot of benefits. Now back to volunteering, you're spending a lot of your time volunteering. Um, how does this contribute to what you're doing in your daily work life at Hewlett Packard Labs? Getting back to the opposite of, uh, you know, what the, uh, IEEE, uh, uh, folks often say, you know, how does, uh, how does your day job uh fit in
1: well first of all whenever there's something ieee labeled, they say go to dan and 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 the <laughs> same is true on ieee side if anyone uh needs something about hp they say go to dan so my first role is a bridge uh the other one is just uh you know answering all questions and and helping um people inside of um hp understand what ieee is about what are the opportunities where they should publish, where they should not, how to match uh, best uh, uh, the opportunities towards their needs. Um, but also, there are things like most recently we have organized uh, training on Explore. So I, I help organize that uh, together with uh, Laurel Krieger, another guest of ours in this podcast. Um, and then we are also trying to do some sort of education. Uh, doing course on on high-performance computing. Uh, We are helping each other in many other ways. So, for example, when I do similar kind of podcasts within IEEE, I lean on my friends in both Hewlett Packard Enterprise and HP. There were a number of speakers there. It's good for them to gain some visibility, and it's good for the whole of the community. Lastly, I think the HP benefits uh, through my own growth. you should understand that being on the board of IEEE is like being on a board of a very large company. And that large company has happens to have uh, over 400,000 members. And that large company, IEEE, is half a billion dollar business. And so the experience that you gain being on that board is, is really tremendous. You can't do that as being just engineer. Uh, Some people like to think of IEEE, uh, some of the benefits of IEEE as a playground for personal growth. And I think that's absolutely true. The same is true for uh, being president of Computer Society. Uh, You are leading the whole board. You learn on the seat of your pants, what does it mean to make mistakes, make good decisions, to be responsible for multimillion dollars uh, uh, business in computer society or it's really tens and, and hundreds of millions of dollars or you know uh even more so at the level of ieee so that personal growth is 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 really important uh, and then there's understanding technologies which is expected you know you are rubbing the shoulders with your colleagues in different areas uh because ieee has all kinds of engineering problems uh, not just my software but also hardware materials photonics, all kinds of things. And and I learn a lot from them and they learn from me. And I'm transferring that knowledge back and forth.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's that the the point about it being a playground for personal growth uh, is is an important one. This is an opportunity. IEEE and societies like that provide members an opportunity to do things they can't do in their their normal uh, jobs, their jobs away from from IEEE from volunteering. And it's a great opportunity. Now you 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 covered this a little bit but um, but beyond your work environment, how does your participation in IEEE and, and volunteerism in IEEE um, help beyond your career, help with your personal life, you know, yeah, things that, of that nature?
1: That, that, that's a great question, Colin, uh, and, and really probably the most important one. Why would you do that? I mean, you're already killing yourself working day and night at work. Why would you not go and do additional work over there? I think I was thinking about it um, over and over. I think the most important one is self-fulfillment. You know, they say that just doing work is not enough. You need to do something else, something for the good of others. And and this tagline, Advancing Technology for the Benefit of Humanity, is is exactly that. You know, uh, IEEE, just like HP, is doing a lot of uh, good things for humanity. They are working with Smart Africa. Uh, They are helping in South America in India, in many places. And I just like the culture. You know, it's all about the culture. I wouldn't have been in in, uh, Hewlett-Packard enterprise uh, prior to that at HP for 23 years if the culture didn't fit me. And the same is true for IEEE. Uh, I could have gotten more money elsewhere, I couldn't get other benefits in other professional society, but you know, the culture in HP and IEEE fits me. Uh, The other thing is about people, and it's always about people, you know, um, and in both places too so you meet a huge amount of great friends uh today i can call good friends in cyprus in india china japan um australia south america you name it anywhere not just in silicon valley but everywhere around the world and then the last one probably the least one but you know you shouldn't be neglecting it 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 took me around the world i already traveled around the world with hp but uh that uh, uh, presidency took me at the places uh, for a long time and it's not tourism at all uh, most of the time actually unless they take you somewhere you don't see anything you spend most of the time i mean i remember we had a board retreat uh, on hawaii we had another board at san johns on uh, caribbean but both times you know i was sitting in the in the meeting room with the tie and you know people were walking outside in swimsuits. So, you know, you can grab a little bit of time. I mean, after two and a half days, you go swimming for one afternoon and you have some dinners, etc. But I travel, for example, to Israel with industry engagement committee and met a number of companies there. I, I met with Google labs, Intel labs. You know, I learned about a number of startups, how they make water out of air, how they productize and commoditize military robots. And many other things. So you can't do that if you if you just you know stick to your daily job. Uh,
0: re- really compelling reasons, and you know, and I think you 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 touched on a lot of things there: self fulfillment, um, people, uh, the ability to network and to gain a network, uh, really a global network beyond uh, beyond your your company, whatever that may be, uh, and then and then travel. And you know, I you know from a not also a volunteering perspective, I guess, but one of my first conferences. To to connect back to to your comment uh, was actually in in Hawaii and I remember going to that conference and not spending you know very much time at all on the beach I was in a conference room um, working with others and talking with others about our work and um, you know that was an enjoyable experience even if it happened to be in Hawaii and we couldn't enjoy all the benefits of Hawaii. Now, um, w- what advice would you have, you know, given all of your experience with volunteering? There's, I'm sure, a lot of people listening to us today that might be on the fence saying, well, you know, yeah, it is a lot of time and there are some benefits, but what advice would you have for those thinking who are of, of volunteering who are just on the fence right now?
1: Join. Uh, my preference would be that you join IEEE, but if IEEE is not your sphere of interest, find another. Um, uh, professional organization and join, you'll see how much benefit you'll gain from it. Uh, you will gain much more that you're investing in it. And, and uh, in. The, the, the secret is actually the more you invest in, the more you benefit.
0: As is true for many things in life, isn't no. it? Um, now you, uh, you mentioned you ran for IEEE president recently. Uh, tell us about that experience. That must've been fascinating. What did you learn from it?
1: Well, you obviously learn most about yourself. Um Yeah, because you spend a lot of time thinking about it and it's not easy to both work and um, and run for the presidency it's it's almost a, a day job that you have to do. Uh, and I wanted to prove that a President can be from industry, the President who works, rather than only from academia or retired in most cases. Uh, and uh, and that was not easy just to run for president. But the most benefit is probably from introspection, thinking about yourself. What would you do? Because you know, as I said, you would be the face of organization of four hundred thousand people. Uh, there's also politics, politics part I didn't like. Uh, I'm trying to stay out of it, but it's inevitable, uh, as you have seen with the uh, presidency election uh, in in United States. Uh, but uh, again, most benefit was talking to people, uh, learning from them, what are their needs? Because one thing is what you think they need and the other is talking to them. I say, hey, you told me uh, I need this, but you can't tell me what I need. I know what I need. And that's the only way how to learn. And and, and I learned that over and over, not just in the United States, Australia, uh, Mexico, uh, and, and other places I visited, but uh, also by doing online uh, presentations. Uh, and and uh, dinners and, um, and and other visits.
0: Well, I, I can imagine that, that. Not only is it is it uh, a lot of time to do that, but you're also you know you're you're learning, like you said, a, a lot about yourself, about the world, about the global uh, needs of, uh, of of the institution. So that that uh, I'm sure you got a lot out of it. Um, uh, you know when when you're when you're at work and and when you're volunteering you know at at some point you have to know when to stop things that you're working on right w- when do you stop something and you know I think when you're when you're volunteering in particular that this could be a case where hey I'm volunteering so therefore you know whatever my my uh, my my personal pet project is I can continue doing it because it's on a volunteer basis but that doesn't really help the uh, the society right so how do you know when to stop and is it is it different in you know, when you're volunteering versus when you're when you're at work and you decide, you know, we've got to figure out how to move on uh from this from this project.
1: I think it's exactly the same. You know, at work, you know, there's a manager who tells you stop, but there are people who just stick to it and continue doing it. You have to stop uh when you assess that there's no impact, when there's no chance of succeeding, when no one cares about it. Um it doesn't mean it's not a good project, uh, but perhaps it's time to stop and focus on something else. And it's really hard. you know. This year, I think uh, I'll be stopping at least one activity uh, in IEEE. I'm not going to tell you which one it is, but, but I have to. Uh, and, and I see that uh, not everyone cares. And I think it's a great activity, really needed, but you know, it's the time to spend my time and efforts on something else that more people care about. And the same thing is true at work.
0: Well, speaking of that then, um, you know, what are your plans going forward? What's the next, big th- the next big thing then you'd like to tackle either inside of IEEE or outside of IEEE?
1: Well, I already spoke about uh, this uh, future workforce. I'm really excited with this one. And, uh, and the reason I'm excited, I already spoke about it, so I won't repeat that, but wherever we held it, people are already asking us whether we want to come back. And, and that's the great indicator that they saw the value. Um, and 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 the way we've done it, which I didn't mention earlier, is we started with giving a presentation. We realized we were talking too much. Even though we uh, selected one hour for presentation and another one fully for feedback, even that one first hour was too much. So what we are doing lately, we give homework so that people understand what's going on, that get thinking about it. And then uh, during the first hour, we do interactive presentation with a lot of engagement with audience and then the second one is still uh, uh, very much their feedback and i type as they speak uh, what are the benefits and, and and what are the really requirements and recommendation that they have for industry for legislators and for professional organization and we will use that to communicate to industry to communicate to governments and to communicate to ieee and other professional organizations At work, I'm really interested, uh, what are the next generation architectures, as I mentioned? Uh, Today, we have uh, really high-end systems. We, as as it's publicly known, we have acquired Cray, which is building currently three largest uh, exascale systems. Uh, Prior to that, we built, uh, we we both built and acquired SGI, which has the largest uh, memory systems and i'm exploring what comes beyond all of these architectures what is the next step and i know other customers of ours and partners are thinking the same way uh, there's a lot of mention of post exascale so i think it's the time to start thinking about these things
0: and and uh, as you mentioned that you know we're we're moving into a world where you know data is becoming ubiquitous it has been for a while and and how does architecture uh, impact uh, how we think about um accessing that data and getting insight from it. Um, Dayan, how, how do you see your work then? At, and, and we're almost ready to wrap up here, only a few more, a few more questions as you're on the interviewee seat. Um, how do you see your work at HPE and, and your work at IEEE contributing to a broader society? You've mentioned a few things already, but is there anything else?
1: Well, the HPE to start with has done a lot of, uh, to help with COVID, you know, we made our computer resources available so that others can run larger problems. We gave all our patent portfolio that is related to COVID also available. And we've done experiments ourselves, natural uh, language processing so that people can do inquiries about COVID and other things, running some other experiments and 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 similar. And uh, IEEE has done uh, also uh, similar things. Uh, they've been also making available publications related to COVID publicly available. And prior to that also helping in underserved and underprivileged uh, areas. Um, Both organizations are really high on inclusion and diversity uh, and and really, really care about those. Uh, And I try helping on both sides and I'm on certain committees in in HP uh, to help with that. And and I've been attending some of the meetings and, and helping. Uh, in various other committees uh, within uh, IEEE. So these are just some examples. And then this future workforce, I think it's really intended to improve the the workforce because we live off of our work. uh, And and, and that's, I think, the most critical one. The next one is probably, and closely tied to it, is how are we going to build a better world? And that's part of this future of the workforce.
0: Finally, Dan, then, um, what do you like to do outside of work? Um, what's your downtime? You've got a lot of stuff going on. How do you relax?
1: Well, until recently, I was an avid soccer coach. I was actually soccer coach for 18 years. Uh, I started um, because my wife told me, Dan, you have to coach our daughters. And so I did, and I alternate <laughs> every year and until the point that the younger one, the older one was already gone out of um uh, soccer but the younger one said that I don't want to play soccer anymore just because you like to coach and then I switched to coaching boys and then uh, for a while I was uh, coaching in a club and then also in the German high school uh, in, actually in high school for German speaking students um, and then I went all the way up to 119 uh, got all kinds of I think I got the national license for uh, uh, youth coaching and some lower uh, club uh, licenses as well but as of lately especially as i got engaged more with ieee uh, i couldn't coach anymore because you know i didn't have time i was missing my practices i was missing my mm-hmm. tournaments and you just can't do it so at the moment uh, I, I go out for walks uh, that's largely what i do downtime i'm also i was always in in the basketball uh, I, i'll tell you for the closing one interesting uh, Tidbit. Uh, I also coached basketball for a couple of years, but you know, I played basketball a lot. I never played soccer, but I, I got away with you know with with the uh, with the youth playing with them, and I learned over the time. But before coaching basketball, I thought to myself, "Hey, Dan, you played basketball, so you know how to do that. You coach soccer. You you'll be a great basketball coach." And there I am on the sidelines, and I'm completely lost. You know, at the soccer on the sidelines, you're thinking long. In the basketball, you know, you know how to play quickly, but you simply can't coach quickly because you've never done that. So stick to your best. Eventually, I, I learned, but it took some time.
0: It's it's funny that that skills don't always translate.
1: No, uh, you, can't, you know, there's it... no math <laughs> That's right.
0: All right. Well, uh, uh, thank you very much, Dayan. Now, let me ask you how did it feel to be sitting on the other side of the table this time as the interviewee instead of the host?
1: I was going to ask you the same question. <laughs> Actually, I sympathize most with interviewees because I asked them to prepare the artifacts. And like most other colleagues, I didn't have time. So I was scrambling <laughs> what kind of artifacts I'll find. I'm sure I'll think of many more uh, after this. Uh, but I was going to ask you so how was it sitting? in
0: my chair oh it was you know it was uh it was enjoyable uh for, for sure i i i enjoyed playing day on for the day <laughs> and um and yeah no I, I i understand now why you enjoy this so much because uh because these discussions really um really help inform yourself and they can they can branch off into a wide variety of directions so no, it was very enjoyable so no i i discussed uh, i i enjoyed our discussion very much you know i think Dayan, on your history of volunteerism it has been an inspiration uh, for me personally, and I'm sure it is for our listeners as well. Uh, so thank you for all that you do for our community. And again, you know, congratulations on the 2021 Merwin Award.
1: Thank you, Colin. And I also want to thank you both as a colleague and as a manager. Uh, I didn't emphasize it before, but you've been my manager the past few years. But the best uh, characteristic of manager is when he continues to be your colleague. I never felt the change between being colleague and manager. I think we continue to be colleagues throughout this. So, thank you for all that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree completely. All right, until next time. Thank you, Dion. Bye, everybody. Thank you.